no matter what you do, whatever it is, do it with kindness. Be kind. Mm -hmm. Kind is king. And that's not from me. Many people before me have said that kindness is the really the e-ticket. It's the pass to greatness. If you need a pass to greatness, it comes in kindness. And that would be my single best advice. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks. Come from a different cloth. Y'all would get ripped apart. You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark. We dropping nuggets like Carmelo with the rock apart. Now we eating from state to state. We scrape the plate. I put my eggs in the basket. Took a leap of faith. I took a chance. Now we grow and see the impact. Decoding success with special guests. Now let's bring Matt. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is the Decoding Success Podcast, and you're rocking with your host, Matt Labrie. You just heard from our incredible guest. You had another incredible guest joining us in just a few moments. But before introducing her, I really want to paint this picture. I never watch television. And the reason I'm saying that is because today's guest I actually discovered via television. Believe it or not. Now, I don't believe that there's many great shows out there. There are a few. I don't want to go into any debates. I know that we could go into debates here. Not looking to do that. But with that being said, our guest is a co-star of Discovery Plus's reality series called Undercover Billionaire. Just the title alone hooks me in. And there were three very, very popular, very influential and very successful entrepreneurs who were placed in random cities in the United States undercover, given $100 and needed to start a business and turn that business into a $1 million valued business by the end of 90 days. I'm going to paint the picture one more time. Three highly successful individuals were placed in a random city undercover in the United States, given $100, no phone, no shelter, just a car and a hundred bucks. And they needed to turn a business into a million dollar valuation in 90 days. And our guest, Elaine Kulati, real estate developer, interior designer, founder of House of Rock and Farm to Table Farmer did just that. And we've had another guest on the show, Grant Cardone. I'm sure you've heard of him. We've had an episode with him before. He'll be back on in 2022 as well. Incredible stuff. And I said to myself, I need to get Elaine on this show and we are going to absolutely crush it. She is a powerhouse. She just freaking holds it down. She crushes it. If you have not watched and listen, I get nothing from Discovery Plus for promoting this right now, but it is that good of a show. And Elaine is that much of a kick ass boss that we had to bring her here on Decoding Success. So really excited to amplify her message. I'm going to throw this out there. When Elaine makes an impact on you in this episode, I'm going to ask that you make sure you are sharing it with the people in your circle because this conversation is getting deep. We are going deep. We're actually talking about the meaning of life at parts of this conversation. Like it got that deep and we have some special guests joining us throughout the way as well. Really excited to amplify this to all of you. So without further ado, we're bringing to you our friend Elaine Kulati. Elaine, welcome to the show. I love so much about you and I want to dive in even deeper. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for joining us. Excited to have you. Welcome. Hi. Oh my gosh. This is so good. I haven't been doing as many podcasts as um, I did last year. Why is that? Are, are I'm not sure. Why is that? I used to, I think, get 10 calls a day and now I only do a couple for some reason. Maybe I'm not that popular anymore. 
<laughs> well, why would you say that? You well, first and foremost, let me just say, and I'm not even doing this for brown nose or brownie points or anything. Your journey is incredible from start to finish, and obviously you have a lot more to go. So, you know, where you are now is absolutely incredible. What you've done on the show is incredible. So I'm sure that you will have more podcasts knocking on your door very soon. I would I would bet my bottom dollar on that. Well, one of the things I think it's interesting about, certainly not not always, you know, people don't say it all the time, but doing a television show that's a reality show, it's your, your whole life's condensed into just a couple of, you know, hours of TV. And that particular show, you know, albeit, you know, it was, it was 90 days to film it, right? And there was like a couple of weeks of when you're done, they cut it all up. They call it post-production. I don't know anything about television. So there you go. And what I found interesting about it was that while it appears on the show that it's like, go, go, go. If you're an entrepreneur, a true entrepreneur, your life is like that anyway. Right. So for me, uh, that's just a bucket of business that's sort of in the bucket now, right? It's done. And I'm on to something else immediately. And then that's in a bucket. So I don't like kind of look back at it like, oh, that, you know, I don't. It was a great experience, but it is truly how I live my life, right? Let's, let's get something really epic done today. Let's, what are we, we going to finish today? What's next on your list? Would you do TV again? I'm working on a couple of things. They're not uh, necessarily television to do TV, but there is, you know, obviously they're interesting enough to to, to watch, to, to to follow around. in in the In terms of the forum of teaching or learning or documentary style about something that's important to our, you know, um, environment or economic uh, status or state of things, then yes, I would I would be happy to have a camera. But for other reasons, no, I'm not interested at all. Yeah. I don't think it's like, it's, you know, even not to be like, you know, I love, I love when I watch my Instagram lipstick farmer, by the way, if you want to hashtag lipstick farmer, I love all the stuff on Instagram, but if I start to watch the video part, you know, the one in the little button in the middle on the bottom, you lose like 25 or 30 minutes in like one second watching like horses jump and a guy wrestle an alligator. And then there's like, it's the black hole of time. What are we doing? (laughs) With this, this, this Instagram thing. So I, I've been like, I'm like, no, 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 I don't. No, 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 no. I've got you keep no yourself way. detached. Cause I mean, I, listen, <laughs> it's, it's, this is good if we're teaching someone something, but we need to have, you know, our hands in the dirt every single day to really have productivity, whatever your dirt is, you know, right. I don't care if it's farming real dirt or if it's money or if it's, you know, taking care of children or if it's, you know, doing hair, your hands need to be in your dirt every single day practice, 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 you know? Right. Absolutely. I, I want to go through your journey. I done as much research as one could do. Um, okay. Somewhat of an investigator here. Uh, I want to go back to your teen years because you broke into industries, you spearheaded things. Like it, it's incredible. I always ask the question, who was XYZ in high school? So I'm going to ask you who was Elaine in high school? So the funny thing about Elaine in high school is I had kind of a weird high school. My mom and my father, right? My, my mom and dad, we were military brats. So mm-hmm. if you know anything about the military, you transport you know, your family with you on each whatever excursion you are on. And they're called all different things. You know, you're either you know, deployed, which then you don't go, or you're on like a TDY where you're in a location and your father goes somewhere, or you're stationed somewhere, right? So we were stationed in Germany around the time I was in, going into high school. So, and my father was retiring. So we, he retired in Colorado and I showed up, you know, a little bit later than probably, you know, people that had been in high school and knew everyone. And so I was kind of just dropped into a scene, Mm -hmm. my high school scene. 
And I had a great experience that no one else had, which probably, you know, molded me to some degree. Overland High School had not been built yet. And when it was being built, the first freshman class was the only class in the school. So we didn't have upperclassmen, which is, you know what I mean? Imagine going to high school and you're always a senior. So we were always in charge. So I think that high school molded me and that I was always in charge, always in charge of everything. I was in charge of everything in high school. So I didn't <laughs> know not to be in charge. It's true, you know. And as far as, you know, college, you know, I kind of happened upon college. So what happened is I went to Arizona, to uh, actually to Lake Havasu. For all of you kids who think Lake Havasu is all that, okay, I basically founded Lake Havasu. So there you go. I went to Lake Havasu with some friends to go in boats and tie them up and just be drunk and jump, jump off the rocks. You know, it's a great thing. It's super fun when you're 18. And there in Lake Havasu, I thought, you know, this is really good weather. Like, why would anybody live anywhere else, right? Why would you live in where there's seasons and it's freezing cold? <laughs> Who wants to navigate weather? And I went to Arizona State University by literally walking into the admissions office and saying, hi, uh, do you guys have any classes left? And they're like, um, what's your major? I go, I don't know. What do you have left? I don't care, really. You know, so there you go. Public relations and communications, college, bang, you know. There you go. I love that. <laughs> right? There you go. No thought, no plan. Just, just, that's fine. That'll be good. You know, dad, I'm going to stay in Arizona. I like it here. If they, do you mind, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about your experience abroad. I think that's a very unique experience nonetheless. And I believe I read something along the lines of you being in Germany, England, Italy. What was that like? What did you learn? Everything. Well, my mother's English and she's, she's an orphan, you know, in the forties, you know, England was at war. Right. And I don't think anyone here really understands what war is because we've all had war abroad, you know? It's not right. different when war is, war is war. And it's not, look at what we do with 9-11 or, or, you know, Pearl Harbor Day, right? We, that's war on your own soil, right? And even Pearl Harbor, none of the kids today know what it is. By the way, December 7th is coming up, Pearl Harbor Day. God bless everybody on Pearl Harbor Day. But we don't know what war is. And when you, when you live in a foreign, foreign land, right? They know what, what war is in a very different way than America does. It's not saying that we haven't had them. We've had our turf wars. We've, you know, we definitely have. And we could even be there again the way we're carrying on. But in reality, Europe is historical in that it has fought its battles to be what it is. And so very at a very young age, I was able to decipher the difference of a land that had been successful and then had its failures and then been successful and had its failures at a very young age, you know, ruins go walk through an old castle with big walls. I mean, what a lesson as a child, you know, what was this for mommy? Why are those, what are those holes for? Oh, those are where gun turrets were, you know, like what, what is that? What is, what is this? What is this gra- graveyard? Have you ever seen Pompeii? I mean, most people have never seen like some of the, you know, the leaning tower of Pisa. I mean, these are little things that are absolutely fascinating, you know, as a child. And so by the time I arrived to the United States, right. My mother had driven us everywhere in a combi Volkswagen van and her old Jaguar, as she says, and in the Jaguar. We'd gone everywhere. And my father was, you know, in the military, so he's gone a lot, right? So you have a lot of time. And she, being an orphan, didn't know any different. She has no fears or, you know, concerns about or how to bring a family up. She was just a white canvas in raising kids. So get in the van and we're going to Yeselo. Get in the van. We're going to Bavaria. (laughs) Right. No, that's incredible. I think that's really, I think it's really remarkable. I'm trying to connect the dots here because you spearheaded initiatives within male dominated industries. Like you've literally crushed it. How does construction come about in your life? Okay. So definitely uh, that's a calling. 
it's a, I think it's a calling. It started because of castles. I, okay. I was in love with architecture as a baby. I didn't know what it was called. I just thought oh, that's big and beautiful. And I'm going to have one one day. I want another one. I want mine's not going to have that wall. Mine's going to have this wall. Imagine that's through the eyes of a child, right? I wanted a big castle with walls and a moat. And I definitely wanted a tower. I wanted a tower for sure. And maybe a guard gate, you know, like a <laughs> I actually am trying to get a gate that permitted in L.A. that goes down like that, you know, like with a bang, you know, instead of in, who wants a gate that goes like I want one that goes, you know, so it's all from being a child. And then I started to design because my environment was important to me. So I would move my bed across the room and put it on the other side or mom and dad would come home and I'd move the living room furniture around you know, and hidden the television. What an unsightly thing. Why is the television out? Well, just take it out when you watch it, you know? Why does it always have to be there? I mean, in the 70s, they put them in consoles, so they look like furniture. Do you remember those? I do, I do, I do. Fantastic idea, right? Now we have flat screens. They're everywhere. They're literally in your bathroom on the wall while you're taking it, you know. There it is. Turn it on. (laughs) Zoom on it. Why don't you? There's no privacy. There's TVs everywhere. One for everyone. And um, I was talking to a friend of mine who bought a motorhome. It's 35 feet long. That's a big motorhome. He likes the idea of going across with his bicycle, you know, stuff and granola. And, uh, and, I, and he's like, yeah, and it has four televisions. And I was like, how can you watch four TVs in 35 feet? You know, really? Who, why? Do you have them all running at the same time on different stations? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, construction became from loving and needing a very specific environment. And slowly I realized that men create different environments than women. Mm. And men are like, you know, bam, bam, they really are. And we're going around trying to say they're not like bam, bam, but they are, you know, they, they don't have breasts. They don't feed children. They don't birth a child. I hate that we're trying to make us all the same and I'm having none of it. I'm having none of it. I get there's some confusion. There might be a few people that aren't sure, but there are plenty of people that are absolutely sure that they are right. a man or a woman. And I am one of, I am 100% a woman. And I am really proud of that. And I really love it. And I love chivalry. I am not giving up chivalry. I think it's the most wonderful thing. And so that's a very different take in construction when you're standing there and you wait for someone to open the door for you. And it's a guy in a hard hat, you know, that's carrying plans and all your stuff. And you're in a dress. And the boys say, why are you wearing those shoes on the job site? And where's your hard hat? And I say, well, make sure nothing falls on me and make sure that I don't trip, please. You know, <laughs> I mean, is this always going to be where women like me cannot pass? You know, no, it's a construction site. You know, no, no. OK, well, they're, they're quite happy to oblige. You know, men are very happy to oblige a woman that appreciates it. So. There you go. And I'm very happy to cook a great meal for you as well and rub your back and tell you thank you for bringing home the bacon. You know, I like it. I love that. Talk to me about advice for someone finding their calling the way you did. It's really right in front of you, isn't it? What are you doing every day? What do you do every day? I bet you podcast, but you look into things. I do. I have to. It's part of the job. You're inquisitive. I, I appreciate that. Have you ever stud- studied existentialism? I have not. That's you a should. big word. I, I have not. Please I appreciate I will. I will. Existentialism. You know, what are we doing here? Why are we on this planet? You know, mm. they were much, the existentialists were much debunked, you know, at the beginning of the century. They were saying, oh, you know, let's not, let's not talk about why we're here. Right. Let's not talk about the fact that we're, you know, here for no reason. Right. Let's, let's just leave it alone. 
And that was a way to create, you know, capitalism and progress, right? How do we, you know, make it okay to just really make a lot of money, you know, mm-hmm. and really create a big, big divide. And, um, and that was like, kind of, I think, I don't really think that's what existentialism represents to me, but I do think to some degree that existentialism is really the kind of the ticket to discovering what your, you know, passion is and what your, what your reason and calling for being here is. So study existentialism and then talk about your existential wealth, which is Mm. really, that's a kind of a, by the way, that's a, uh, anyone who's, you know, busy and doing like self-help websites and has the energy to take all the calls, do a platform. I'll help you if you like. I have a bunch of like really cool, you know, information on existential wealth, which I made up. I totally made it up, by the way. There's no such thing, but, but there should be because existentialism, like, let me give you an example, right? If you're Kobe Bryant, God love that beautiful person and his beautiful family. You know, your existential wealth is not how much money you have in the bank, right? Your existential wealth is how tall you are, how fast your legs are, and how well your brain sees the ball and the people. And that value that you have, the way that you play your sport, your game, the way that you put your hands on the ball and you, he was like magic to me, like mm-hmm. Michael magic. His existential wealth was that, right? And you cannot pay for that. There is no amount of money. So when people say, oh, he, their contracts are too big and they're, this is too that. Are you sure? Because how do you put a value on that? It's existential. It has no value. It's like, a, it's like an, an F, uh, what do they call Non-fungibles, NF, NFT. It's like that, right? Put a value on, on that, right? And once you figure out what your that is, that's where you start to price yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Don't price yourself based on what the medium, I'm $25 an hour because everyone who landscapes gets $25 an hour. And for all you landscapers, there you go. I just raised your price 17, <laughs> from 17 to 25. Average right? <laughs> 17 so how do we find that in us, though? Well, how do you? How do you? If you're such a great investigator to create these podcasts with interesting people, right? So you're calling. Well, sure, you're spreading the word on your podcast, right? But your your real, you know, gift is look at how you listen, mm. look how focused you are, and look how inquisitive you are. And um, what if somebody really needed like to figure out who they were, how would you, you know, guide them there? Maybe that's your, you know, maybe that's your mission, right? What's your mission? I think it's also important. It is. Absolutely. I think ultimately, so this is a great conversation, by the way, I love where this has gone. It's incredible. Ultimately, I think for me personally, I stumbled upon what I'm doing right here by making a shit ton of mistakes. Ah, what was and- your first mistake? Well, my, my biggest mistake was probably keeping ego in the driver's seat too long and leaving a job with one of the sharks on Shark Tank. I, when I say a mistake, listen, I learned from it. I don't want to speak on it as if it's, you know, like looming over my head because it led me to this. We wouldn't be having this conversation unless I made that mistake, right? So I'm very grateful for it, but I wouldn't necessarily guide someone down the same path that I took, you know? Well, so I think behind every single success, right? Are a multitude of failures. Sure. I, mean, I think it was Warren Buffett that said, um, you know, uh, some, some pretty crass thing about like, I, I don't want to use the F word because I use it all the time, not because I shouldn't. I mean, just for, for, for the record, I have to really curb my cussing. 
you know, I mean, I know, so ladylike, right? Well, that's what happens when you're in construction for a very long time, right? You, you learn really how to speak like a truck driver, as they say. <laughs> you sound like a truck driver. I go, well, I think truck drivers sound twice as nice as construction sites. So construction sites are, it's just, a, it's, a, it's a boy's game. But, you know, people are reciprocally screwed over. It's not the people doing the screwing are also getting screwed back. My mentor said in, in, in real estate, he said, you know, Elaine, if you're going to be in real estate, you know, you better really like lawyers. You need to really like them. It would be like being a swimmer and being afraid of the water. OK, you're going to you're going to be met with a lot of legal whatever. And he's not he, he was right. So for me, I you know, there's always those battles. People are always trying to get something that doesn't belong to them. And you have a lot of battles in your life and there, there, they can be, you know, jealousies, they can be health issues, right? You're, you're just not strong enough. Age could not be on your side. And then you have all the battles that we talk about on television. You could be black instead of white. You could be short instead of tall. You could be unsure if you're a boy or a girl. And you start to look at whatever your battles are, right? As things that you can use to meet to your advantage, Right. So I could use my femininity, for example, as to my advantage. Right. But there's a line there where your ego that you set on the table, right, is no longer your advantage. It becomes your disadvantage. Sure. And that moment that that thing that you have that you could use to work your way forward, that boldness that comes with a big ego, that incredible thing about having no concept of what failure looks like or anyone saying no to you because you're you, because that's the beauty of ego, right? Mm. You almost have to have it to get anywhere. I mean, imagine you had none. You wouldn't have the, you'd be timid. You'd be the opposite. You'd be shy. You'd be right. the opposite of old if you don't have an ego and you don't get anywhere. So you have to have some, you know, value in that, right? Your, your ego might've been your calling card when you were little, because when you're little and you're cute and you're a little wet behind the ears, your ego is really cool. Look at him. Wow. Did you hear? What did you say, young man? You know, and you're like, oh, I need you to do this or whatever. And they're like, oh, he's so cute. Let's do this for him. And your ego is then fed. There we go. Cha-cha-ching. Feed it in. And slowly that ego blossoms, right? And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, the same is true if you use your calling card that you, you know, are handicapped, mm. you know, but at a certain point, you're in a group of people, right? That are at the top of their class. And if you got there playing on your card, your one card, and you don't have the goods, it doesn't matter that you're black or that you have a big ego or that you don't know if you're a boy or a girl or that you're a girl or that you're tall or that you're short or whatever. It doesn't matter because you got yourself at the table and you better deliver. You can't sit at the table if you can't deliver. And that's a really big deal. Like, you know, you get yourself all the way to the table. Now, what do you have? You know, put right. your ego down. What else is there? Mm. You know, come on now. Tell me what you have other than your ego. Because that ego got you to this table, didn't it? Right? How do you evaluate when it's time to make that shift, though? Oh, I just, that's called balance, love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, use your assets, you know. Mm. But there was a saying in, 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 the, in the 80s uh, for girls in, in business. It was called, it was tits up. Have you ever heard that? I have not. I'm born in the 90s, so I, I've never heard that. Tits up meant to, you know, put them up, stand up straight and walk through the door, you know. Mm. And I had this really incredibly funny friend in, in the early 2000s. Um, Bambi, Bambi Lachelle. She was a badass. Her name was actually Bambi. 
And Bambi said, when we were going into a club one night, we were all decked out, you know, la da da, and just tits up girls. And she kicks the door open. She goes, the party just got started. And we walked in and what she brought through the door was confidence. That's it. Confidence. Never leave home without your confidence. Don't go anywhere without your confidence. And it's hard, I think, to arrive at any big table without your confidence because you're going to be right. You're going to be afraid to say anything, but always get to the table. And when you're at that table and you feel like you didn't deserve it or you got in there by accident, great, good, listen, learn, be ready for the next time you get invited. Because when you're a fly on the wall, it's invaluable. It's absolutely invaluable. I got every education I have from being a fly on the wall. I got every single bit of anything that's ever helped me was from observation. It was from keeping my mouth shut, my ears open, ears and eyes, smell it. What's in the room? Keep your mouth shut and learn. Because when you're around people that know more than you, they know more than you, right? They know more than you. Watch the most important person in the room like you are soaking it up like a sponge, like it is eye candy. Watch them, watch how they move, watch how they talk to people, watch what, and when they don't say anything, remember they're doing what you're doing. They're listening to their team. They're understanding. Those blowhards that go in and say this and say that, blow, 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 are usually not the people that are actually writing the checks, Mm -hmm. right? It's usually the guy that's listening. Because if you're spending your money, right? You're writing a check, you, it's your money. What am I writing this check for? And always pay attention to who's writing the check, right? You got to know your audience, you know? And when I go to sell something, truly, uh, Kevin O'Malley, woo, smartest man ever. He was the head of, um, of Elle Magazine, chief financial officer, and very, very smart because that's the pitch of pitches, you know? Selling, selling a piece of paper, one page, on the front or the back for hundreds of thousands of dollars to something that's only going to be there for literally 28 days or something like that. And, and then it's going to be somebody's trash, right? Some people do collect them, but you, that's a tricky sell. Kevin O'Malley, he said, you always want to sell your vision, right? You always do. Like, see my vision, walk with me. I want to show you my vision. But when you're selling someone something, you need to know what their vision is. What do they see? What do they need? What are they meeting with you for? What do they think they can get from you? What are they buying from you? Does that matter? Will they write the check for that? What are they looking? What are you looking at me for? Why are you here? And then I need to respond with all those answers. Not what my vision is. What can I do for you? How can I help you? You know, what, what can my business that I have, my beautiful magazine, how can I make you a star in here. And that little selling tool is just, I just learned it. You know, he just said, look, because you're pitching some, a very big idea. I have a very big business coming up and it's complicated and good things are, and for a lot of reasons. And I have to break it down and I have to slow it down. And I have to think about each bucket of that business tranche. I like to call them tranches. Who's that client? Who is at the end of my tranche? What does that person need to get into my fold? What do I need to sell them? And they're different businesses, even though they're designed to go together. And the person that I'm pitching at the end of those businesses, each in each, all three of them could not be more different. They mm-hmm. could not be more different. I could be talking to the man on the moon and the man on Mars. 
Oops, sorry, the lady on Mars. (laughs) And I'm trying to create a, you know, women in platform for what women in businesses that are, you know, mostly male dominated and not because I'm a women's liberal or anything like that. It has nothing to do with that. But I have found ironically that when you have a, a mixed board, you know, of advisors or directors, meaning women and men and, you know, and, and every kind of old and young, I want to say blue collar, or white collar. It's other, we're not allowed to say that really anymore. I think that's also like not okay, but, you know, extremely corporate and highly educated and a little bit more loosey goosey and kind of by the seat of the seat of their pants, like how they want it, how they feel the way that the business should go, because these are very valuable things. Mm-hmm. When you have that kind of crisscross applesauce in a business, you have a better balance a balance because you have a more relatable group of people. You're going to relate to someone and someone is going to be your advocate, right? Absolutely. Um, it's important. And when you're in front of a board or a big corporation, you got to get buy-in by one person being your advocate because not everybody's going to get you and you can't be all things to all people. That's what we do when we run for presidency, right? Oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, but really you're not. And it's not lying. It's trying to get buy-in. I mean, someone has to be in charge. And so we're all just so disillusioned and disheartened because we feel like we've been lied to. But the truth is, is like, you know, that's been like that since the beginning of time. It's not new news, you know? Right. uh, Kill the villain in the end, don't we? We always just like stab the villain. I'm like, he's a villain here. Like, it takes a lot to run a country. And, and, you know, kudos to anyone who would get up there and try. I mean, you know, it's like Shark Tank, right? You know, not everybody's going to go in there and do that, you know? And, and so somebody has a bad idea, like, you know, crucify them for their, their, I, you know, and I just feel like, gosh, let's not. So we want to get buy-in. We want to get, it doesn't matter who's president, right? It matters as a country that we're agreeing on what we need to do and whoever that leader is, we need to support him, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have anything to do with who it is. You know, the minute that you become adversarial and you, you know, you lock down, and you stop moving forward, you're done for. You're just wasting time, quote unquote, sitting duck, sitting duck president. You know? right. when, so when you go into a boardroom, you need to get buy-in and then you can move something forward. And that is when you are on your lunch break in your, in your room with your you know, coworkers at a factory and there's an issue, right? And human resources is there. And you're pitching your point of view, like, you know, he peed in my bathroom again and I don't like it because, you know, I, I want the seat down and I have to sit on it, for example, right? You want buy-in. Now, you might not want to pitch that story, right, to the guy that did it. You might want to pitch it to your girlfriend that experienced the same thing you did. It's all about who your audience is. And then you can get a relatability and never say anything with anger, mm. you know, don't be angry. Just be poignant. What happened? You know? I get it. I love that. Thank you for that. I want to talk about a word that you use, confidence. Going back to the story you mentioned of your girlfriend walking into the club. I'm curious, what's your advice for building confidence? Does it come down to stacking up small wins? Like, what is it for you? Surround yourself by people who support you. Okay. You know, don't surround yourself by people that have it in for you. Right. You know? Eyes open, tits up. If someone has it in for you, it's pretty obvious, mm. right? And you don't need to be friends, but don't villainize them. You know, know your enemies. I, I, um, I find that, 
when someone has it in for you, it's their lack of confidence, right? So that's fascinating to me. Remember that if someone's got it in for you, they have no confidence at all. They're scared. And it's very easy to deflate your enemy when you know that that's the reason that they're fighting like that. And, you know, one of the things about having a lot of dogs, do you have dogs? I have a puppy. I actually do. Oh, fascinating. Okay. So puppies are the best. You'll learn so much. So there's a lot of dog people, whisperers out there. So for all you dog whisperers and you, and you, you know me from Lipstick Farmer, I have a wolf pack. Um, they're not, they're actually Shilohs, but people call them a wolf pack. And so I've gone from having one dog and then one day I had two and, you know, eventually I had, you know, a slew of them. So, and dogs are so smart. So one of the most important things to watch is how dogs work together because it's primal, right? It's very primal and someone has to be in charge, right? And when you're talking about confidence, right? It doesn't have to be the person in the front, right? It can be the Omega. It can be the Delta, the Omega. It can be, it's not confidence to shore up the back is a lot, right? To pick up the slack. It takes confidence to think that you can even do that. And I think we need to, as a group, realize that confidence has to be in every section of work. So it becomes about, I think, your proficiency, your ability to do something. How good are you at it? And so reward people for good behavior, first of all, right? But don't over reward someone for just doing their job. Mm. Reward somebody when they do more than their job. And then you build confidence, but you also build this thing that I think that people need when they aren't confident is to know that you're aware because awareness is a funny thing, right? If someone is recognized for doing something more than their job by the big man, right? That guy actually picked up rope that wasn't his and did more than his job. Hey, you come over here. Can you move up here, please? Because we need you up here, right? Mm -hmm. The minute you do that and you show awareness, you build confidence, so as, an, as a boss, as someone who runs a company, pay attention to those who do more than their job mm. because that's the difference, right? It's people are just doing it to get by. I mean, listen, we all do that. We've all been there. I mean, I, you know, well, not, probably not me, but many people, I, you know, I, I hate just doing my job. I always, I always wish I had that oh, whole thing, but, um, but eager, you know, what is it? Early, early, early bird gets the worm. Early bird gets the worm. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Elaine, I'm curious, what's a question you wish more people would ask you? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, let's see. People don't ask me if I'm in love. People don't ask me if I'm happy. Um, are you happy? And are you in love? Yes. Both. I tell people this all the time. Be, love never goes away in your life. Never give up on being in love. And um, it doesn't matter if you're always single or, you're, or you've been married your whole life. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, love makes the world go round. It, it's, uh, it's 100% the most um, motivating thing we can do for ourselves is to be loved, feel love someone and feel love in your heart every day. I think if you, if you don't focus on that, everything that you do is just a step below satisfying. It's just one step low. Love is like the true satisfaction and everything, you know, love what you do, love the people you're around, love your animals, love your kids, love yourself, of course, you know, love. So, and people don't ask me about love because uh, they see me as a business person 
and somehow they don't connect the distance between, you know, me being passionate or in love or silly or giddy with, you know, with a business head, right? What kind of, I, I tell, you know, I tell really funny jokes and I find, I think everything is funny, humor <laughs> and <laughs> happiness is, is happiness is the fountain of youth. So, right. If you're an unhappy person, it shows on your face and it shows in everything you do. But if you're happy, like whistle when you work, right? These are great sayings, by the way. I don't know where they're coming from. from a little, but if you're whistling while you're working, right? If you're having a good time, it shows you and people want to be, it's infectious. Happiness is infectious, you know? So, Absolutely. You, I love that. Be- so this is going to come full circle. We were talking about why we're here, why we exist, right? I actually think the reason we exist is to love. I didn't get a chance to say that earlier, but I really do think that's the reason. And it was actually backed up the other day by a silly little meme thing, you know, a thing I saw on Instagram. And we were just talking about dogs and it was about dogs. And what it said was, do you know why dogs live such a shorter life than humans do? And the response to it was, dogs live a shorter life than humans do because they come into the world knowing that knowing how to love already. The minute you get a dog, whether you adopt a dog, you buy a dog, however, adopt, don't shop. I'm a big adopter. They know how to love you, right? Yeah, born for it, man. That's they're, right. they're born for it. So maybe their life is only 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. God bless you get to 20. And they know but, you're talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I personally, I think that's what we're here for, to love. And I think it takes humans a lot longer to realize that. And you, you'll see, I mean, listen, I have a 90 year old grandfather and I see his life back in the day when he was hustling, he owned a gun range, did all these amazing things. And now he's retired and how the shift happens. So I think it takes us a lot longer. And also our lives may be a little bit more serious than dogs, but that's what I think we're here for to love. I think that's so wonderful that you shared that with me. Hey, Lou, you know, we're not talking about you. <laughs> it's important yeah. to know your dog park, right? When you have seven. So Luke dog, come here. Come over here. We're talking about you. <laughs> you wanna say hello? Oh, what say a cutie. You. Say hello. Can you say hi? <laughs> How old? Uh he is uh nine. He's bigger he's than you. Five. Well, he's bigger than me. That's Frank. Can you see Frank? <laughs> I can see Frank. Frank is bigger than me. These are That's... these are Alsatians. And he's about, he's about 140 pounds. Oh, she's a, this is Bowie Coyote. See, now they're the stars, right? They're, you're a star. <laughs> yes, you are. You're a star. Bowie Coyote's like a, you know, she's a coyote. We, I think I she has a coyote that. family somewhere. So All That's right, incredible. Well, I'm going to ask you one more question, Elaine. I have one more question for you. I, I could honestly, and I, I say this quite often here, but I, I mean it every time I say it. Like I could have a conversation the rest of the, you know, the rest of the day with you. If Elaine was hopping on as many podcasts, she lives to whatever year she wants to live to, whatever age she wants to live to, hops on as many podcasts, does whatever she wants to do in life, but she can only be remembered for one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, golly, that's a one piece of advice. That's not fair. Uh, you can give me two. Okay, so many. I think I'll move to say what I usually say when someone asks me for the one piece of advice that I would give. And I would say, no matter what you do, where, whatever it is, do it with kindness, be kind, mm-hmm. kind is King. And I'm not, that's not for me. Uh, many people before me have said that kindness is the 
really the e-ticket. It's the pass to greatness. If you need a if you need a pass to greatness, it comes in kindness. And uh, so that would be my single best advice. I love that. I I have to ask a question about that because we we live in a somewhat cold world sometimes. So how do you stay kind when the world can be cold or people could be nasty and mean, so on and so forth? One of the things that I do personally is I always take a breath when I'm mad. Mm-hmm. I when I feel that blood boiling minute where I just want to come unhinged, I take a breath. To not lose your temper is very graceful. It is something everyone should strive to do because we my my brother used to we're Irish. Our family's Irish. Kaladi is a married name. So my my maiden name is Farrell. I'm a I'm an Irish chick and it probably was O Farrell and we probably ate the soup. So <laughs> one of the things that's important about Irish people, right? Irish people drink hard heartily. We are, you know, a country of cold weather. Scotland is the same in, in English and Wales and, you know, and so is a lot of Germany and a lot of Europe, you know, especially cold climate in Europe. Don't even get me started on the Russians and the vodka. But there's, there's, a, there's a liberation in being able to sort of, you know, roll in the snow with your man and just like, you know, pound him down, you know, if you're in a fight with your boys in the bar or, you know, family dinner, you know, you stick the knife in the table and everybody's in a big fight over too much. There's, there's a liberation in that. And I think that it's in our DNA to snap, mm. right? In everybody, you've got a breaking point. And because generation after generation, you know, whether it was in County Cork, Ireland, and your grandmother threw your, you know, grandfather in a bush walking home, right? It just doesn't matter. It's in your DNA to explode somewhere, or to, you know, be an alcoholic, think of that, you know, or to, you know, have some sort of a, you know, anxiety disorder, whatever it is, it's all in your DNA, it's all in the genes. So you're going to, at some point in your life, have to reconcile your behavior, Mm. right? What did what was your part in it? Be accountable. And so for me to stop any type of lineage and DNA that would be without understanding, without compassion and without kindness is something you have to work on. It's like learning to walk and you must practice to be reasonable, be open-minded, take a breath before you snap Mm -hmm. and think about what the other person is trying to say to you as crazy as it might sound to you. As you know, if they're morally bankrupt or ethically completely devoid of any understanding, take a minute and just try to figure out exactly what's happened to them and why they're so crazy to you because they're not crazy to them. And maybe they're unhinged and two unhinged people is really bad, right? Someone has to have a sober mind, sober mind, sober minds. Wait till tomorrow morning. Things might be different. So yeah, that's what I do. I take a breath. Big I one. I love that. I love that. Elaine, like I said, I could talk to you the rest of the day. I want to express my gratitude again for you hopping on here. I know I need to let you go. I'm going to make sure that socials, websites, all of that good stuff is in the show notes of this episode. But do you have anything going on that you might want to make people aware of? I uh, Yes, I do. If that's cool. Do you mind? Please. Yes. The floor is yours. Um, so, so when I was in Fresno on Undercover Billionaire, I, the train was right across the street from uh, Shepherd's Inn. And, you know, during COVID, the train was running. I mean, there wasn't very many people on it, you know, but it was a cheaper way for me to go to farm jobs than using that big car I had that was eating so much gas. 
And so I was, I became a little bit more familiar with train transport than I had, you know, ever been in. So I'm extremely interested in rail in the United States. And I've started a business that is all around rail and it's predominantly to move food, uh, farming, fresh farm food across the United States on American utility called railroad. And so anybody that sees a railroad or any kind of train or anything, you know, it's a lot more important than we think. And uh, we need to really support rail. We need to support everybody that's in rail because it's it talk about a man's world. Okay. And there are some incredible women in the rail industry and it is um, an American utility. We have a lot of rail here and it is an incredible way to bring community together with supply chain to underprivileged food deserts across the United States. It's the least expensive way to do it. Um, it's the most efficient way to do it. And I would hope that everybody who knows me would know that I've really done a lot of research on how important this is. And anyone that wants to help me in any way with moving food across the U.S. to underprivileged food deserts and people that really don't get fresh produce and fresh, fresh everything, I am like all about it. I'll take your calls. I'll take your money. I'll take everything you have to give me. <laughs> I'll take your time. It doesn't matter. I <laughs> I'm love not that. a guy at all. <laughs> That's incredible. So. I so love yeah, that. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Elaine, thank you again for this opportunity. Truly appreciate it. You bet. And it was great to meet you. And I'm so happy that, you know, hey, keep, keep inventing, you know, keep it. Thank you. Go Going to try. Yeah. Okay. And there you have it, everyone. Our friend Elaine Kulati. Make sure that you're checking her out on Instagram, which is where she primarily hangs out. So if you want to connect with her, shoot her a message. Let her know that you heard her here on Decoding Success. As mentioned earlier in this episode, if Elaine made an impact and this conversation has made an impact or maybe broadened your horizons or made you look at something a little bit differently and shifted your perspective, I'm going to ask that you make sure that you're sharing this with someone in your circle, sharing it on your Instagram story, doing something where someone else in your life will feel the same impact, maybe not necessarily the same exact way, but an impact from this show. We all have the opportunity right now to be a beacon of light, to be able to share these episodes that cost absolutely no money. So the fee today is to make sure that you are sharing it. And until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.